Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. If you are a regular listener to Koinonia and a big fan of Tom Brown, you will recognize right away that I am not Tom Brown. My name is Tim Wright. I'm pastor at Community of Grace Lutheran Church out in Peoria. And yesterday, Tom and I happened to be at the same breakfast together, and he asked if I'd be willing to sit in for him today. And I am more than happy to do so. Honored to be a part of Koinonia today on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. And uh, today we're going to talk about something I I think is going to impact a lot of us. If you're a mom or a dad who is passionate about instilling faith in your children that will last a lifetime, if you are a grandparent who cares the same about your grandchildren, if you're a Sunday school teacher, a children's ministry director, if you're a pastor, if you're a youth leader, if you're a youth director, if you work with kids in any way and are interested in shaping faith in them, uh, then you're going to want to stay tuned for the next Hour because we're going to ask the provocative question, are we Sunday schooling our kids not only out of church, but out of faith? And let me give you some statistics to whet your appetite a little bit. Two out of ten millennials today believe that the church matters. And when millennials are asked to list the top ten faith influencers in their lives, the church doesn't even make the top ten list. Um, 70 to 90 percent of all boys will leave the Christian church in their teens and early 20s, and most won't come back. Uh, In my denomination, the Lutheran denomination, we've seen an over 60% decline in Sunday school attendance from 1991 to 2010. We've gone from about a million to 400,000. 75% of the young people in our denomination who are confirmed when they're teenagers leave the church. They drop out of the church. Uh, Only 12% of youth have a regular dialogue with their mom, On faith or life issues, only 5% of youth have a regular conversation with their fathers on faith or life issues. And yet all the research tells us that the greatest faith shapers by large margins in the life of our kids are not pastors, not youth leaders, not Sunday school teachers, as important as they are, but mom and dad followed by grandparents. And so what we want to focus on today is the relationship between the household and the church and how they can partner together to forge faith. Uh, For too many of us, we've probably um, abdicated our responsibility for instilling faith in our kids to the church. Uh, But the church plays a vital role, but so does the family. And I've got a special guest with me today who's going to help us uh, tease all of this out. Dr. Rich Melheim has been a friend of mine for years. Uh, We haven't met an awful lot personally, but we surely know about each other and we've been in contact with each other. Rich has written a provocative book called Let's Kill Sunday School Before It Kills the Church. Rich, I love that title, and welcome to Koinonia here in Phoenix, Arizona. I can hear you just fine. How about you? Well, I'm, I'm doing great. I just gave you this big, huge introduction. I, I, I hope you heard it, because it's probably the best you're ever going to get. Uh, <laughs> I told people how wonderful you are, how smart you are, and I re- I, everything you told me to say, I, I, I got in in about 30 seconds. I let the folks... They're setting me up for total failure, in other words. I, I let the folks know that, that uh, we're going to talk today about faith formation and the relationship between the household and the church, and uh, how all, all too often we have abdicated our responsibility uh, to the church, perhaps, and that there are ways for the church and the households to partner together. 
So we're going to come back in about a, uh, a few minutes, Rich, but I wanted you to have a chance to say hi. I wanted to say hi to you, make sure everything's working. And um, we're going to talk about your great book. We're going to talk about the great work that you're doing. And we're going to be back in just a few minutes here on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Welcome back. We are on Koinonia today, 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk. My name is Tim Wright, pastor at Community Grace Lutheran Church out in Peoria, filling in for Tom Brown today. And we are talking about faith formation in our kids and how to raise the next generation to be followers of Jesus. And um, we're, we're really asking the question, are we Sunday schooling our kids out of church? Are we Sunday schooling our kids out of faith? And our guest today is Dr. Rich Melheim. And he's written a great book called Let's Kill Sunday School Before It Kills the Church. And Rich, can you give us just a a little background on who you are so people have a sense of what you bring to the table in the discussion today? Well, I'm a Lutheran pastor. I was a bored dyslexic kid, and I love studying the neurology of learning and bonding. How's that? That's fantastic. Uh, (laughs) Now, you you create a lot of great products uh, and... um, and, and tools to help churches partner with with parents, and um, we'll we'll do this again. But just so people uh, who can multitask, they may want to look you up while they're listening. Where can people find out more about you? What's your website? Well, the the best one to look at what they can do every night in every home to really pull their family together in a world that tears us apart is the word faith and the number five dot org faith. As, as in Faith Acts in the Home and the number 5.org. And that's got videos of families who just for six weeks tried in every night a simple uh, conversation, bring God into the conversation technique of sharing their highs and lows, reading the scripture, talking, praying, and blessing. We have hundreds of thousands of people around the world who are being blessed every night by simply taking a few minutes uh, assigning a sacred space, turning off the television, setting the cell phone in the freezer, and deciding to go for technology, not technology. That's the easiest one, faith and the number 5.org. And then if they're interested in the neurology of learning, it's richlearning.com, richlearning.com. We've been studying the psychology, the sociology, the theology, and the neurology of optimal learning, and we're getting ready to go to Ethiopia with a project in a month um, uh, with that. And then finally, our, our Christian Ed curriculum and our family ministry curriculum is the word Faith Inc., I-N-K, faithinc.com. So we're going to get back, especially to the Faith 5 thing that you introduced, because it was such a, a key component in the transition we made in our church and uh, let me just lay the, the table a little bit with my own, some of my own story, and then I'm going to have Rich uh, give some insights as well. I was the pastor, the associate pastor, of a large church in Glendale, Arizona. 
And I was there for 22 years, mainly in the 80s and the 90s. And we were a seeker church, which meant we were a church that was really geared to reaching people who were disconnected from the church. And so 60% of the people who joined our church came from what we called a non-church-going background. They hadn't been involved in a church for five years or more. And um, one of the things that we wanted to do, and this was reaching mainly my age group at that time, baby boomers, is we knew that if we were going to reach boomer adults, we had to reach their kids. And so there were a couple things that we did uh, to, to help reach their kids. And uh, the main thing was to offer Sunday school for the kids while mom and dad were in worship, so concurrent Sunday school. Uh, several reasons for that. One is a lot of non-church-going people weren't comfortable having their kids in church because they didn't know how to do church. Uh, second reason is when you're, when you're trying to do evangelism, so to speak, and you have a lot of noisy distractions from children, it's, it's hard to get the message across. You don't get a, a, a second chance to make a good first impression. Uh, plus, if kids have a great experience in Sunday school, they'll drag their parents back, even if mom and dad didn't have a great experience in worship. And so for all those reasons... We ran Sunday school concurrently with our worship service, so our kids were rarely, if ever, in the worship experience with big people. Now, in the back of my mind during all those years was a study, and I don't remember where I read it now. I can't find it anymore. But it said, and it's been validated over the years, that if a child never attends church but only attends Sunday school, he or she is very unlikely to attend church as an adult. Uh, If... On the other hand, a child goes to worship with mom or dad and never goes to Sunday school, they're highly likely to go to worship as adults. Or if they go to worship and then a separate Sunday school afterwards, they're also highly likely to go. And uh, so that study was always in the back of my mind, and it, it, uh, it troubled me uh, because I really did care about seeing our kids grow into lifetime faith. So about 11 years ago when we uh, started our new church, planted our new church, we decided that we would compromise and we would have the kids in Sunday school only during the sermon time. And so we began to make a shift, and then we began to make more shifts that we'll talk about as we go along. But before I bring Rich in to kind of talk about his experience with um, Sunday school and faith formation, I want to read a quote I came across that I think gets to the heart of the matter. This is written by a millennial. And this person writes this, Do you want to know one of the reasons why millennials aren't attending your church? Well, here goes. Millennials aren't attending your church because they've never had to attend your church. Think about it. From the time my generation was born, we were thrown into nurseries with other babies. Then we went to children's ministries to be entertained while our parents went to big church. Then we had middle school ministry. Then we had youth group. Then we went away to college and found a church with a stellar college ministry. It wasn't until we graduated college that we were expected to be part of an intergenerational community called church. We'd been segregated by age for the first 22 years, and you not only allowed this, you encouraged it. Now, Rich, over the last many years, you have seen that, and uh, you had this awakening long before a lot of us. What was it that you were seeing all those years ago that began to tell you that this this uh, uh, really outsourcing the faith of our kids to church and or Sunday school wasn't working? Well, uh, as a parish pastor, it was very, very easy to get into the boomers. As a parish pastor and as a boomer, it was very easy to get into the boomers and give them exactly what they wanted. We, You and I grew up with a, mind, a mindset uh, where we were handed stuff from our parents, who were the greatest generation in the World War II you know, uh, fight and struggle and build the economy generation, and they gave us everything they didn't have, 
And we grew up a little bit spoiled. We wanted what we wanted, and we wanted to pay for it, and, and we didn't want to um, necessarily give the way our parents gave. The, the boomer generation really built the mega church. And, I mean, you were at, you were at the height as, an, as the associate pastor. I always called myself a sociopath rather than the associate pastor, but at the height of the, the, uh, the uh, boomers' ascendancy, the, the uh, Sunday school classes and the bigger churches started dividing up and giving them everything they wanted. Here's a great preschool program with great preschool stuff. Here's a great Sunday school for little kids, for older kids, for teenagers. We just kept building program, 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 because that's what the boomer generation wanted. And if you recall also, the boomer generation was the television generation who wanted what they wanted when they wanted it, whose attention span was about seven and a half minutes, and who, uh, after a little while, got the remote control in their hand, got used to changing channels, changing channels, changing channels. The moment they weren't getting what they wanted, they changed channels. So we pretty much created a show for the television generation with you know, great music, great sermon, get the kids out of the way, and we built them a show. However, we have now entered the post-television generation. I just saw a stat yesterday from CNN that the average teenager is watching nine hours of screen time a day. Wow. And more than half of that is, is not television, it's, it's Internet, which is uh, cafeteria-style, click, 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 engage, 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 and a conversation. Text used to be a noun. Today it's a verb. It's a conversation. And yet we continue to put on a television-era show for a post-television-era generation. 2004 was the watershed in the history of world technology. It was the year when American teenagers began to spend more time on the interactive media online than simply watching the show. So you could argue that anybody who was 12, 13, 14 in charge of their own technology in 2004 is of a different generation than their parents. The church continues to put on an age-segregated show, even, the, even though we are the only place in American society where all five or six living generations are gathered under the same roof every week. We continue to put on an age-segregated television era, one-directional, good show on the stage, and we wonder why the young adult isn't coming back. I don't think they were ever there, and I like to say you can't come back to a place you've never been. Mm. Uh, my own denomination posted a record of uh, what has happened to Sunday school attendance, and we have gone down 61% in Sunday school attendance in 20 years. 61%. We are be meaning less and less and less to the Internet era generation. And if they come back at all to church, it might be for a baptism or a christening or dedication. But they're not coming back to life in the body because they never really felt like they were part of the body. They were given a great show, but they weren't engaged. And I think worship needs to be much more engaging. I think it needs to be much more cross-generational. And it needs to be more post-television, where the conversations of the, the wisdom of the elder and the wonder of the child and the honesty of the teenager and the, you know, the highs and the lows, just the transparent, authentic highs and lows the people of God are colliding every week, which means we have to rethink worship, we have to rethink education, we have to rethink pastoral care, 
And let me say right now, pastoral care, if it happens every night in every home with God at the center of a family, it is the most beautiful, powerful seminary seedbed for a child to grow up into a disciple of Jesus Christ instead of into a consumer of a product that they're not interested in. We are on Faith Talk, 1360 KPXQ. I'm Tim Wright filling in for Tom Brown today, and my guest is Rich Melheim. And Rich, we've got about a minute and a half, uh, and then we'll, we'll have more time after the break. But your, your, one of your recent books is Let's Kill Sunday School Before It Kills the Church. How did you, how did you come up with that great title, which I'm sure has offended a lot of people, uh, but at the same time makes them think? Where did that come from? Sunday school came to us thanks to the Methodists, who uh, in the 1750s, 60s, 70s, and 80s decided to help uh, street children whose parents were drunk every Sunday in industrial England. They set up a school for literacy and morality, and Christian parents would never have sent their kids to a Sunday school 150 years ago, not at all. They would have thought you were insulting them. The Archbishop of Canterbury actually called it Sabbath-breaking, and he told his priest he would fire every priest led a Sunday school in their church. Today, the system that was set up to help spiritual orphans is now creating them en masse. And I think it's time we go back to the biblical model of Deuteronomy 6, when you lie down and when you rise. The biblical model of Acts chapter 2, where they met in homes and in temple, and what has been for uh, 1,780 of the 2,000 years of Christianity, and even pre-Christianity, the Judeo-Christian model, it's always the parents and the role modeling. So we're going to come back and talk more about that and how we as parents and grandparents can partner with our churches to build faith in our kids. My name is Tim Wright, filling in for Tom Brown. You're listening to Faith Talk, 1360 KPXQ, The Koinonia Show. You are listening to Koinonia on Faith Talk, 1360 KPXQ. I'm Tim Wright filling in today for Tom Brown, and we're talking with Rich Melheim about faith formation and um, faith formation in the home, faith formation in the church. Uh, if you'd like to be in, get in touch with me, my website is timwrightministries.org, timwrightministries.org. And for those of you who are interested in uh, what our church did in terms of transitioning to multi-generational worship and pushing faith back into the home, I've written a little ebook on Amazon called Sunday Schooling Our Kids Out of Church, the true story of how one congregation dropped Sunday school to save its soul. So Sunday Schooling Our Kids Out of Church. And let me just pick up a little bit on our story, and then we'll get Rich back in. Uh, I I started a congregation, planted a church 11 years ago, and we met in a school. And we had gone from a big, huge campus where we had state-of-the-art everything for kids. And now we were in a school that had one room that we called a uh, St. Eugene Cafetorium. And we got a locker room, two locker rooms, and a janitor closet with a big stain on the floor. That was our classroom space. And uh, so we decided we would do Sunday school during the sermon time. So kids were in with us during the first part of worship and communion. Uh, but parents weren't all that crazy about putting their kids in a nursery that had a big stain on the floor, though we tried to cover it up in a janitor's closet, or having their kids in locker rooms. And even though we said it's not about the quality of the room, it's about the quality of the teachers and the program, uh, for young parents, it's about the quality of the room as well. So our our kids' program grew from about 100 kids when we started down to 30 in five months. And uh, we just struggled along with that until we built our new campus, and we had some beautiful buildings, and it's taken us a while to grow. 
Uh, but we had other issues once we got into our building, and one of them is what many churches have, and that's struggling to find the right number of volunteers to help with Sunday school. It's not as easy as it used to be back when my grandma was teaching Sunday school. So I began to really wrestle with the whole concept of Sunday school. Is it the best way to nurture our kids? Shouldn't our kids be in worship with us? And we began to make a transition, a two-step transition. And uh, the first decision we made was we were going to move our kids, kindergarten on up, into the whole worship service with us. They'd participate in everything. And the second, which we're going to talk about here for a few minutes, is how we were going to get faith back into the home. And the way that we did that was by providing the tool that Rich referred to uh, in the last segment called Faith 5, which you can find on Faith 5, the number 5, faith5.org. And it's a five-step process, and every weekend after worship, I talk about it to our congregation. It's a part of our welcome folder to our new guests. Every week I send an email out. I put it on Facebook. This is the verse we're looking at. Faith, uh, Rich, this has been one of the greatest gifts that we've given to our congregation. And uh, so give us the outline of Faith 5 and maybe some of the brain science and the theology behind what you want to accomplish and you want households to accomplish with Faith 5. You bet. It's actually a very simple thing that can be done in a few minutes tonight. Um, I alluded earlier before the break that the latest CNN poll says that we're spending nine hours a day of screen time. And a pretty compelling argument can uh, be made that if you don't have 10 minutes at the end of the day, if you have nine hours for screen time, it might be time to reassess your family priorities. The whole thing starts with sharing your highs and lows. And the neurology behind that is the brain has lots of gatekeepers to try to keep information out. We're bombarded by so much information. Uh, neurologists will tell you we're only consciously aware of one ten thousandth of all the information that's bombarding us at any given moment. And with 100 billion neurons in your brain chattering and making noise all night long, all day long, uh, you have to make a, a brain-silencing, chatter-silencing, compelling argument for the brain to pay attention to anything. But if you can get to the emotional center of the brain, and I'm a Lutheran, so we don't talk about emotion all that much. You know, if you can get to the emotional center of the brain, the rest of the brain pays attention. There's nothing more powerful than sharing the highs of the day, what was good today, and the lows of the day in order to get to the emotional part of the brain. St. Paul said, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And what if you decided for the next 40 days we're going to do that every night in, in our home? We're just going to we're gonna turn off the television, uh, get off the Internet, put the cell phone in the freezer if we have to, but we're going to touch base. We're going to share our highs and our lows. And in the book, Holding Your Family Together, um, which is uh, it's on Amazon and iTunes, it's got 105 104 out of 105 uh, five-star reviews. My wife shouldn't have given me a review. In that book, <laughs> Holding Your Family Together, it goes into the psychology, the sociology, the neurology, and the theology of what happens in your brain, in your heart, in your body, in your relationships when you simply share your highs of the day and your lows of the day. And then the second piece is to, to get into the Word. And our strong suggestion is whatever you preach on on Sunday, that is the Bible story for the whole week. Rather than bouncing from verse to verse to verse or trying to find a, an appropriate verse for the day, uh, Dr. Len Sweet, our mutual friend, calls that versitis, if you're just jump, jumping from verse to verse. Hmm. My very strong suggestion, and this has come, uh, you and I are about 30-plus years in the ministry, this has come from all these years, Try to connect the pulpit, 
the home. Yes. And don't make them go look for something else. Let's just go deep, and let's go deep before we go wide. So a, a pastor, a preacher, a teacher, hopefully somebody with some theological integrity will expound on the text on Sunday. We'll give them some time to wrestle in a cross-gen community on Sunday. We love creating cross-gen uh, conversations. We, uh, we have another thing called crossgenconference.com uh, if somebody wants to spend a week with people who are doing this every week in a TED Talk kind of thing out in Colorado, crossgenconference.com. Our strong suggestion is Sunday's Bible story is the story for the entire week. Go week before you go wide. So number one, share your highs and lows. Number two, get into the Word. Number three is the most fun and the most difficult for people to do, is to take that Bible story, which is the text, and your highs and lows, which is the context, and simply put them in the same sacred space, collide them together, and ask God, are you trying to tell me something? Is there something in this sacred text that can apply to my real life, my highs, my lows this week? This is doing theology. Carl Barth, the Reformed theologian, said the preacher should enter the pulpit with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. In other words, text, context, text, context. Get relevant or get out of the pulpit. What we're asking parents to do is to enter every night with the Bible in one hand and their children's lives in the other. Text, context, text, and that's what your highs and lows are. And it's magic, it's beautiful, it's like they're looking every night of their life for relevance in God's Word to apply to their life. You will raise an entire different child for the rest of their life. won't go to sleep without asking God, what are you trying to say to me? Share your highs and lows. Go into the Word. Talk about it. Prayer. There's an entire neurology uh, of prayer. What does prayer do to the prayer when they're praying for someone's highs and lows? And what does prayer do to the prayee? And there's lots of great new research on the power of prayer to release endorphins, to release dopamine, to give your body healing, uh, healing chemicals, to wash away the toxic stress hormone cortisol. And cortisol, by the way, blocks melatonin, which is the sleep drug. Prayer for the real issues of your child before they go to sleep. If you've heard their highs and lows and they know, hey, somebody listen to me. Somebody heard me. Somebody's giving me that love that is prayer. Somebody's taking the weight off of my shoulders and into their loving arms, and then we're quantum leaping my problems into the power of the Almighty God who's on duty all night long to teach your child before they go to sleep that God is bigger than their biggest problem is already working on that all night long. This is a gift you'll give to your grandchildren. This is a gift you'll give to your great-grandchildren who you will never meet. If you can give your child the direction and to point to the Heavenly Father who's there even after they walk away from your grave, people are going to meet you in heaven and simply say thank you because you taught one child that they don't have to hold on to their stress, their cortisol, their anxiety, their angst all night, but they can give it to God to let go and let, let God. This may be the most powerful thing you could ever give to your child. A few minutes of focused attention on their highs and lows and yours on God's Word, on talking about it, and then giving it to God. That's the fourth step prayer. And the final step is blessing. Don't let a child go to sleep. And kids, teenagers, as soon as you're old enough, don't let your parents go to sleep without giving them a blessing. There is so much great research on the power of blessing neurologically, psychologically, sociologically, and theologically. These five steps are all free. 
It only takes a few minutes a night, but it can change the trajectory, the psychology, the philosophy of a child and of a family. So faith5.org, it's all free, it's all there. There's video of families, and you can testify yourself. Uh, Tim, I want to go to your book for a minute. Um, I remember uh, Nancy French, who was a four-time New York Times best-selling author, saying how brilliant your book is. And you knew you needed to do something. Your book is Sunday Schooling Our, Our Kids Out of Church. You needed to do something. You just knew something was wrong. First, why did you need to change your church? And second, what are some stories of some of the beauty, depth, and wonder you're seeing once you decided to take this route? Well, those are great questions. And if it's all right with you, my friend, we'll, we'll use that for the last segment, all right? Okay. Because I want to, I want to dig a little bit deeper with you on on Faith Five because it has been a game changer in our congregation. And uh, when Rich says it's free, it really is free. Now he's written this great book. Give us the name of the book again. The book that explains it is called Holding Your Family Together. Right. The and process is just all free, and it's online at faithfive.org. So as I mentioned, we we for over a year now at at the end of every worship service, uh, at the end of every Easter service, Christmas service. Uh, the first announcement I make is we're a church that does Faith Five, and we want to push faith back into the house. And so this isn't just for parents and their children or grandparents and their grandchildren. I encourage spouses to do it. I encourage friends to get online with each other and text each other or FaceTime each other before they go to bed. Um, and uh, what I do as a pastor is I've done exactly what Rich says, and uh, I plan my sermons out three to four months in advance and so I actually cr- print out uh, quarterly a list of the Faith Five verses and what weeks we'll be doing them or what stories we'll be doing, and then refer people to those. But my wife and I uh, go to bed every night and we do Faith Five. And um, sometimes we won't share a low; we'll just share a high. And, you know, and Rich is good at this. Some families have kids who are a bit negative, so just focus on the highs. But the greatest blessing we have is every night before we go to bed. We bless each other, and we might make the sign of the cross on each other's foreheads, and we say we love you, the Lord bless you and keep you. When my grandkids come over, we give them the same blessing, and my grandkids bless us, and they're, they're anywhere from an infant, she doesn't do it yet, but to six years old. So faith5.org is what you want to tune into uh, online. So Rich, I'm going to answer Rich's questions, and he and I are going to talk about some of the great things that happen when you begin to bring people, generations together in worship. We've talked about faith formation in the home. I want to use our next segment to talk about how the church can be a place for all generations to worship together. I'll tell some stories from our church, and Rich has some great stories as well. My name is Tim Wright, pastor at Community of Grace in Peoria, Arizona. You're listening to Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. So glad to have you with us this afternoon on Koinonia Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. My name's Tim Wright, pastor at Community of Grace out in Peoria, filling in today for Tom Brown. My website is timwrightministries.org, and I'm talking with my friend Rich Melheim, and we are talking about faith formation and how the church can partner with the household to uh, instill faith in our children in the next generation that will last a lifetime. And uh, Rich, in the last segment, was kind enough to take over the hosting duties and ask me a couple of questions, which I'm more than happy to answer on uh, some of the transitions that took place. Uh, we spent the last segment talking about doing faith in the home. I want to spend this segment talking about what it looks like to do multi-generational worship. And our church is just one example of uh, how to do that. And my little ebook, uh, Sunday Schooling Our 
Kids Out of Church is uh, available on Amazon and, and gives more detail. But Richard asked some of the, the blessings we've received, and I'm going to talk just a couple of them, and, and I'm going to bring Rich back in because he's had some of these as well. But I'll start with a story that happened from this past weekend. We have communion every weekend in our worship service, and uh, we have kids and adults serving communion. So they're serving each other. And my little grandson, Judah, who is five years old, has wanted to serve communion. And every week when he comes to church, can I serve communion? Can I serve communion? Well, he got an upgrade this week. Uh, Last week, he was holding the empty tray where people would put the empty cups. But this week, he got to hold the cup where people can dip their wafer into the grape juice. And the person who holds that cup says to people as they come through, the blood of Christ shed for you. Well, Judah's speech isn't quite as developed yet as it should be for a five-year-old. And so he some words are a little tough for him to say. Plus, he speaks loudly to kind of compensate for the fact that people don't always understand him. So I'm over in the corner of our worship center, and we, we can seat about 700 people. So it's fairly big, good size. And I could hear him as he was yelling out to each person, Christ's blood shed for you, Christ's blood shed for you. And to watch the the big smiles on the adults' faces as a child was leading them in that profound, sacred moment. And when I sat down uh, after communion, Judah came running up to me and he said, did I do a good job? Did I do a good job? And I said, you did a great job. He said, can I do it again? And um, Rich, when I think about the blessings of intergenerational worship, it's those kinds of moments where, to use your language, our adults and our children collide in a moment of grace uh, where our kids learn from the adults. But I think the more moving times are when our adults learn from our kids. And uh, we have seen that happen over and over again as we transitioned our children back into worship for the whole service. They had been with us through the worship segment, but now we keep them in for the sermon as well. And I can talk about some of the things that we're doing uh, to keep kids engaged during the sermon. But Rich, you've had a chance uh, to work with a number of churches over the years who have been moving to more multi-generational, intergenerational worship experiences. What are some of the stories that you have to tell about the richness of that experience? Well, uh, we have churches like Faith um, in West Fargo, where 73% of the dads are engaged every night in every home with this Faith 5 project. It started when the church said, we're no longer going to have age-segregated Sunday school. We're going to have everybody together for one hour a week. A lot of churches have the IHS up front, and they think it stands for one-hour service. <laughs> this, this church in West Fargo, North Dakota, um, at the beginning of the worst recession since the you know, 30s, decided, no, we are going to be the church that keeps families together in a world that tears us apart. And they said, we are going to have families together on Sundays or Wednesdays. Take your pick. And we're going to learn together. We're going to do pastoral care together. We're going to model Faith 5 together. They lost families from that church when they decided to to do that, because there were boomers who said, we're not getting what we want. We just want to drop our kid off and go to coffee or something. They lost families, and then they grew and grew and grew. They built a second unit in the middle of the worst recession in American history for the last 75 years Hmm. by the new high school in West Fargo because they became known as the church that was going to keep families together. Um, I've got churches uh, like St. John in Columbia, uh, Maryland, uh, a church that's one of the 
one of the richest counties in the United States and also full of homeless people at the same time, that decided that on Wednesday night they would have a meal where they always do this uh, cross-generational stuff. And they would always have extra tables at the meal. Uh, African-American single mom by the name of Teresa, uh, two teenagers of her own, this stray skinny white kid named Patrick came and sat down at her table, and they all did highs and lows. And, and he said, well, man, I wish I had somebody who'd talk to me like this. He found out that they did it every night, and he started coming to their house every night. Wow. A year later, Patrick is baptized, and he's their third kid. And even on days when he can't come over, he Skypes in and calls in and won't go to sleep. So here's this African-American single mom with two teenagers of her own and a stray skinny white kid who's baptized because she decided to show the care of Jesus in that way, not once a week at church. Yeah, there was a free meal, and that's why he showed up, but now... Now he's part of their family. At that same church, uh, Pastor Brian Hughes uh, decided they would do uh, neighborhood bonfires. And that's a very easy way to get the non-church people in the door, by the way. Have a neighborhood bonfire, do your highs and lows, do a servant project together. They have some of the uh, football players from the Ravens to go into the city and do servant projects with them. And uh, before you'd ever even join the church, you're already having fun in your neighborhood, you're holding each other in prayer and crying and being honest. And and, uh, and then you're going with the Ravens to do some servant projects. Mm. And who wouldn't want to be a part of a church that really loved each other like that and then did stuff for their, for their own community? Uh, down in Pembroke Pines, Florida, Pastor, Pastor Keith Spencer decided that they would take their Sunday school that had literally gone down to four kids a Sunday school and church, it used to be full, all the way down to four kids. And he said, we're going to turn uh, a blended worship and education time together where parents and kids could be together. And he hands over the, the curriculum, the skits, the, the music, like you say, the handing over of communion, and there's all ages and all stages. The great theologian of the church, Neil Diamond, said, pack up the babies and grab the old lady. He's got this going. And the, the, the worship attendance, or the, the, it went from four to, to 60 on Easter Sunday to 120, and, and it just crazy stuff happened when he decided we're not just going to put the kids in the other room, we're going to do this all together. Uh, in Astoria, Oregon, a pastor tried to do this and got fired for it. Mm. So if you want some stories, we have everything from getting fired to getting fired up when you simply give the people of God to each other in that sacred space and collide the wisdom of the elder and the wonder of the child. It, it's beautiful. Uh, it's dangerous. It's pre-Sunday school. It's, it's the biblical model from Deuteronomy 6. Uh, and I think because of the post-television generation that we have, all the young parents today are post-television generation. They expect to be engaged and personal and conversational, not just to watch a show. I think it's a model that if a church has the option to do a second service and blend the learning and the worship together in a more interactive way, uh, it really can be done. Can I ask you about your book for a minute? Sure. Okay, Sunday Schooling, Our Kids Out of Church. Why did you decide to do this? What were you seeing? And then if you could be honest both about the successes and the growing points or the, the pains that you have when you try to change models. Yeah, well, um, uh, I think basically it was because we 
the unrest was created almost 30 years ago. Uh, I cited a, a study uh, earlier in the show that said that if kids don't attend worship as children, they probably won't attend worship as adults. So that, that was always in the back of my brain, just eating away at me. What does that mean? What does that mean? And so when we started our new church, we, we uh, tried to make sure that kids were in worship with us for part of the service, and then during the sermon time, they were out uh, doing their own thing. When we moved to our new campus, we saw some growth, but we struggled with leaders. And I, and I kept asking myself the question, okay, the kids are learning maybe how to worship a little bit, but they're still not learning how to engage with adults during sermon time and uh, during those times when when uh, the church does what what we usually think of as big people stuff. And so we, we started to ask the question, what would it look like for us to be in a multi-generational worship service? Uh, we didn't change the service so much as we uh, made it more friendly to all age groups. And for us, the transition wasn't real hard because we're a church that changes pretty easily. But I did spend three months, intensive months, for every weekend, uh, bringing in special speakers, introducing Faith Five, uh, talking about what the transition would look like. So for about three or four months, we set the stage before we brought our kids in for the sermon time. And um, we didn't, to my knowledge, we didn't lose anybody, um, but we've been gaining new young families now who want to be together. So uh, just some of, the, some of the simple things that we've done. Um, we, uh, we do a little kids' time, which a lot of churches do, the, the kids' sermon time, and, and uh, normally I'll do that, and uh, I'll try to tie it into what the sermon's going to be about, or we'll maybe just sing a song together, or we'll reenact the biblical story. Um, we, uh, during the actual sermon time, uh, I provide a couple different ways for kids to listen. Uh, one is to give them uh, some that these come up on the screen, uh, draw a picture of uh, Jesus healing the man on the mat, uh, and, and so on. And, and they'll draw three or four pictures throughout the sermon time that will capture the moment that I'm talking about through the sermon, and or they can do some sort of word game during the sermon. So I'll say to them, now I want you to listen for certain words on your piece of paper. And if you're playing bingo, when you hear me say the word grace, cross it out. Uh, and I always tell them, don't yell bingo at the end of the, the thing. <laughs> Because that's the emotional point of the sermon, right, when you get to the end. But we'll do fill in the blanks as well. I may have the word Jesus with just a J and an S there. And so when you hear me say that word, and, and that way parents and children are looking for those words together or drawing the pictures together. And quite honestly, uh, the big people who don't have kids around, they're, they're watching that as well, and it reinforces what the message is. Uh, I did personally, I shortened my messages. I try to go about 10 to 12 minutes. And, um, and then we have the kids participate in all the other elements, the saying of the creed. We have them bring their offering up front. And it's really changed the culture uh, of our church. And uh, it's been an absolute delight for us and for even people who don't have kids. So uh, Rich and I are going to be back to wrap up the show. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll give you a few websites where you can learn more about how you can build faith in your home and how your church can partner with you to build faith in your kids. We'll be right back. I'm Tim Wright on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ.
We got a couple minutes left. I want to uh, say a very special thanks to Rich Melheim, who has been uh, walking with us today, talking about faith formation, both in the home and in the church. Rich, can you give us once again the title of your book on uh, Sunday School, Faith Five, and some places where people can find you? Well, we have two books. One is called Let's Kill Sunday School Before It Kills the Church, and that's all about the history of Sunday School and a dozen churches that are trying to put families back together and extend the family into the elders as well. The second one is the book Holding Your Family Together, and that's uh, all about the, the faith five, sharing highs and lows, reading God's Word, talking, praying, and blessing. The two sites they might most be interested in would be faith and the number five dot org, as in faithactsinthehome.org, and that's got all the information about how to do for no money at all something that can be priceless in your church, those faith by practices. And then if they're interested in uh, curriculum and such things, we have faithinc.com. We do have a really fun conference happening in uh, Colorado at the YMCA of the Rockies first week in October, where a dozen TED Talks, will, uh, TED Talkish type things will happen with churches who are doing this. And Dr. David Lowe's, who's the president of a seminary in Philadelphia, will be doing a Bible study on uh, preaching and teaching to the post-television generation. And that's at the website crossgenconference.com. Rich, thank you so very, very much for joining us. And for those of you who would like to get in touch with me, my name is Tim Wright, pastor at Community of Grace. In Peoria, my website is timwrightministries.org, where you can find a lot of the different things that we've created for you and your families and a link to my book, Sunday Schooling Our Kids Out of Church. Uh, It has been a great delight to be with you today on Koinonia, and uh, special thanks to Tom Brown for inviting me to be a part of this today here on 1360 KPXQ. And I want to end the way that uh, Rich encourages us to end, and that's with God's blessing. And so now as you go throughout your day, may our loving Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord always turn his face towards you and give you peace. And I ask these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I encourage you to tune in every day for Koinonia, 2 to 3 o'clock right here on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. I'm Tim Wright. You have a blessed day.